0: Good morning again, if you can make your way to your seats, give your last hug. Pastor Larry's in the house, I didn't get a hug for Pastor Larry, I gotta get one before he leaves. woo good stuff. How's everyone doing, you guys warm, you're good, feel comfortable, not too cold, not too hot, good, good. Well, I have the privilege this morning of sharing the word to you this morning. One of the things I I prayed this morning is that um, the word would not just be scripture references or just a message that Ryan's prepared. But as you know, it's kind of more that Christmas story, John chapter one, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. My desire is that I get to share with you Jesus this morning. I get to share with you the good news of who Jesus is, that Jesus is in this place. Jesus is here. Jesus is Hopefully living inside of you. Uh, When I was five years old, I asked him to come live inside my heart. And he's never left. He's with me always. But there's something about just Jesus that he makes himself known. That he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But there's times where he just feels a little closer. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That Jesus is always with you. But have you ever felt his presence a little bit more real? His peace his joy, his goodness, and I'm just hoping that this morning, I get to share with you some of Jesus, right? I know um, a long time ago, I heard one of Jen's coworkers a long time ago said, y'all need Jesus, right? Kind of like that Western twang, and it's so true. Sometimes when, when uh, people would start gossiping or doing different things, her co would say, y'all need Jesus, like stop, the, stop what's going on here, y'all need Jesus, and I, I just feel like it doesn't have to be all bad things going on. The reality is, we all need Jesus. I just need more of him. I want more of him, more of him, more of him. And so I have the privilege of just sharing you some of the things that are really His ancient words. I love that Jesus is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. The Word became flesh. But do you know how privileged we are to have an ancient book that was written, some of it, over 4,000 years ago that has been handed down to us after generation after generation, all for the purpose that we could know Jesus Everything points to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is just pointing to him. It's his story, right? History, his story. I love that. This is his story. And it's all about how he wants to dwell with you and I, right? That's the idea, is that in Garden of Eden, that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve, that they would dwell together in paradise, that they weren't just living their own life and do something with God every once in a while, like give some props to Him, say a prayer every once in a while. They lived life with God, they actually walked hand in hand with Jesus. They could see Jesus face to face. They could give Jesus a physical hug. Like they walked with God. That was God's original divine design for humanity was for us to dwell with him, for him to dwell with us, right? And we know that's ultimately where we're headed, is to heaven. When there's a new heaven, a new earth, all these other things are going to pass away, and he's going to dwell, that God is going to dwell with us. And we know, again, that Christmas story, Jesus is Emmanuel, the word became flesh, he dwelt with us. But in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, not just in human flesh only, right? In all of who he is, we get to see him face to face one day. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. And I love that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now that we can pray for it. And so I I just want more of Jesus. I guess that's what I'm saying is the divine design. That's our word for this year, right? Excuse me. God's divine design is that we would dwell with him, that we would know Jesus. I just want to know Jesus, right? And so this morning, we're going to look some more at that. And um, before, even if I can segue it in, I don't know, but I just feel like we got to do this repetition, right? Um, I think my mom told me this when I was a kid, and it's just stuck in my head. You should never have to repeat yourself, and I'll say it again. You should never have to repeat yourself, right? It's one of those things that repetition, that's just how we learn. If you want to memorize a Bible verse, you got to read it over and over and over again and say it over and over again. And so our theme verse for this year is Ephesians 4.16, and I want us to just... Get it in, ingrained in us. You can memorize in any translation you want, but I encourage you spend some time reading it over and over again, saying it over and over again. I've chosen the Passion Translation, um, so we're just gonna read it again, just because it's just a good thing to do every Sunday morning until we get it. Like pressed down, shaken together, just in our spirits, right? So Ephesians four sixteen, do you have that one? You can pull it up. Ephesians four sixteen, Passion Translations says this: For his body has been formed in his image, and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one and every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all and as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body we are built up and made perfect in love this is god's divine design is that he wouldn't just have one human being just adam all by himself and have relationship with one created being in his image Right, we know. I'm not trying to go all the way back to Genesis, but he said everything was good after everything he created. It was good. When was the first time that God said it wasn't good? Do you remember? Amen. That man should not be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. The idea is he wants a body. He wants a group of people living together and functioning as one. That's what this prayer. That's what this verse is. Is that we learn the divine design that you and I were created? Yes, for fellowship with Jesus. But I can get more of Jesus. When two or three of us are gathered together, he's there in our midst. There's something about that. I, I, I can get some of Jesus on my own and I want to spend my alone time with Jesus. I hope you do that too. But the idea is that we should not forsake the Assemblies of the Saints because there's something, I can get more of Jesus when we do that. So it's not just for you to be built up, just for me to be built up. It's the idea is I want Jesus to have his perfect way in me. And that only happens when I'm with other people that love Jesus. And so I love that. In fact, man, this is, this is going to be good. Um, I got a poem for you, and I didn't know if I was going to say this or not, so I got to find it. Um, I'm going to figure out how to seg this into where we're going. Here it is. All right. So I think I've referenced this once before, and I don't know if, you've, if you know this or not, but does anyone know? It's, I think it's an Indian, like from India, um, Parable about the blind men and the elephant. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Six blind men and an elephant. Well, if you do or don't, I'm going to read to you a poem that actually John Godfrey Sachs, an American poet back in the 1800s, wrote this poem. It was kind of an already existing parable, but he wrote it in a poetic form. Hopefully, you catch it as I read it. So, this is how it goes It was six men of Indian descent to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall, against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. <laughs> the second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp, to me tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he, tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said even the blindest man can tell what the resembles most, Deny the fact who can, this marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no longer had begun about the beast to grope, then seizing on the swinging tail, then fell within his scope. I see, quoted he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indian descent disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceedingly stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, all were in the wrong." What is the point of that parable? Why am I reading this to you? The idea is that each blind man got one aspect of the elephant. And they knew from their own experience that is what an elephant is. The first elephant, right? The side thought it was a wall, right? One with the trunk, it's a snake. One with the tusk, it's a spear. The elephant, it's a fan, right? The leg, no, it's a tree. No, the tail, it's a rope. They all were correct, and we can laugh at that because we can picture the whole thing happening right in front of us because we, we get the whole picture of an elephant. But the reality is God... Has divinely designed to reveal himself to men. And he wants you to have a personal encounter with him. He wants you to be able to touch him and know him. But the idea is you will never get a full grasp of who he is unless you collectively come together and you correspond and you correlate and say, No, God is like this. No, God is like this. And we put together who God is really like. And I love that. Too often I find myself, even within the church, right, there's all these different denominations, different people that say, well, this is the theological truth, right? We are predestined. Everyone's predestined. And people are like, no, we've got free will. And it's like, no, you both are holding on to two different parts of the elephant. It's both are true. And you hear me say that all the time as a pastor. Is it this or is it this? And I'm like, yes, because that's how I want to see God. I don't want, I want to see God with my own eyes. I want to have my own personal experience with him, but I value that you have a personal encounter with God. And something within me, I want to have discernment to say, you know what, even though that seems strange, that's different than, than what I'm doing, I can bring that into my understanding of who God is. And, and that's not the whole point of this morning, but what I want is, I want us to understand that throughout Scripture, God is revealing himself. It isn't just John three sixteen. that's my only way I can know God. There's so many verses in here that talk about Jesus, that reveal who Jesus really is. I want to know Jesus in every way it's possible. I want to know him through his written word. I want to know through him in quiet times, just waiting on my face, not reading any scripture, right? I want to know, I want to know him in every way possible there is to know Jesus. And so where is that bringing that this morning? I want us to look, I, I kind of briefly, as we opened up the beginning of this year, I highlighted three things. We're going to spend more time for sure on those three things, but hopefully it goes beyond that. That God reveals himself. He has a purpose. He has a plan for the church and there is, and we're going to spend some time this morning about looking at the original tabernacle, Moses, and how he got the design design for the tabernacle. But the reality is, there is a real dwelling place in heaven. There is a throne room. There is the awesome presence of God, where there are, we sing this morning, where elders cast their crowns, where angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. This is a real scene that Isaiah and other people talk about. And so when God is giving this design to Moses, he's saying, I want you to have priests that wear the serpent garments. I I want there to be the doorway to look exactly like this. I want there to be a a sacrifice. I want there to be a place to wash your hands. I want there to be a place where there's a a, a candlestick. I want all these different ornate, articulate, detailed designs. God is saying, this is what represents what's going on in the heavenly realm. There really is a tabernacle. There really is a, a right way to approach God. I know we can boldly enter his throne of grace anytime we need help because we have a heavenly father who loves us. But there are things that are helpful to understand written in his word for us to know how to relate to him, to know how to know him in a deep and profound way. And so I want us to look at some of those things that that God reveals his divine design in ways that we should figure out. And so I think we read this last week. We talked about kind of Moses and the tabernacle, David and the temple, and then Jesus building his church. And so we're going to spend some time, I think, my plan is, we'll see if God has a different design that he reveals as we go. But I want to look at those things. I want to look at Moses' tabernacle. I want to look at, at, at the temple. I want to look at how Jesus is building his church. And so this morning, we're going to look at a bit further about the temple. So we read a couple verses. I have them again for this morning. Last week, we read them. Exodus 25, 8 through 9. It's just important to give us context again. So Exodus 25 says this, right? Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern or the design I will show you. So again, God's design is to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. And so he did it in Adam and Eve. He was friends. It says that Abraham was a friend of God. They had all this conversational prayer and and conversation. But God said, I want to make a nation out of you. And so now there's this nation. How does a nation relate to God? And so God is saying, we need a tabernacle. We need a place to meet. We need a place where you don't understand how to worship me. And so he's given these divine designs to him. And then in Exodus chapter 40, we read this last week too, Exodus 40, 33, says this. So Moses finished the work all the details of all the design, Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Because Moses obeyed and Moses accomplished what God wanted, God was able to come in his presence, his Shekinah glory, big word. Um, But it's, it's the difference between God is omnipresent, God is everywhere, he's God. He exists everywhere at the same time. But there's something about where he makes his presence known, where he dwells where it's different than just being everywhere. Is that making sense? I know we're kind of going through these things really quick, but we've talked about this before here at Osborne, that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He meaning he's everywhere. But there's times all throughout Scripture where God shows up and he tells Moses, take your sandals off your feet. You're standing on holy ground, right? There's something about the high priest. They could go into the holy of holies very different than how other people approach and talk to God all throughout the day. So there's something about God's presence that when it's powerful, it's different than when it's just he's everywhere. Is that making sense? So he does this. Moses finishes the temple, the tabernacle, and God's presence and glory just fills it. And just kind of giving that context, if you remember, um, this is all happening at Mount Sinai. They leave Egypt, right? They go to Mount Sinai, the thunderings, all this is happening. They build the tabernacle, God's glory comes. Then it says, as it comes like in a cloud... So during the day, it's a pillar of cloud over the tabernacle, over the meeting place. At night, somehow it transforms to a pillar of fire, right? And so at day, it's giving them shelter, the cool. At night, it's giving them light and warmth. But it's something the presence of God is recognizable. They can see it. And it says, I don't have time for all this, but the tabernacle, they would stay camped in one place. And as soon as the presence of God, that cloud, that glory cloud or the, the pillar of fire, would move over and away from the tabernacle and start leading them, they would know, okay, time to pitch our tents, time to get pack everything up, and let's follow the presence of God until it stands still, and we put our tabernacle right there, and then we camp around that, right? And we stay there until God says it's time to move. And so the rest of the, the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years is around the presence of God, this tabernacle, that Moses is getting the divine design for, and that they're learning how to worship God. So I just want to give you the context of what's going on here. But all this history, right, all of us going on for 40 years, the purpose is God wants to relate to people. He wants a people that know him, that he can bless, that he can, he can, they can become like him, that they become separate, holy from the rest of the world, right? And so the idea is that, we, that he can dwell with us. Um, hmm. All right, so we looked at 25, verse 8, when God says that. We looked at the very end. So I'm going to go back to Exodus 25, I think verse 40. I think I have it back there, Juan. 25, 40 says this. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. I think that's important. This verse, I know I already said this kind of once before, but it's important when I was reading this. It says here on the mountain. Be careful to do everything. The divine design I gave you in the mountain, do everything that you heard up on the mountain. They were leaving Mount Sinai. He, Moses wasn't going to keep going up on Mount Sinai for the next 40 years and in the promised land. Mount Sinai actually wasn't in the promised land. So there had to be something where he's saying, all right, where we talked about things, where we went up on the mountain, where you got close to me, where you had an intimate time with me, Moses, don't forget what I said up there. Remember this and follow it exactly like I said. I think this verse is kind of profound. Sometimes we want to know what God wants for us, right? Right? How many times have you asked God for wisdom? Anyone else in this room ever asked God for wisdom besides me? Yes? No? Yes. Okay, good. You've asked God, "What should I do? What do you want me to do?" I believe there's times where God is saying, "If you want to know what to do, come up here with me. Come up on the mountain." Sometimes sometimes it's hard to understand what God wants. I'll tell you from first hand, so many times I'm wrestling with God, "God, what do you want?" I'm like, Why do you make it so difficult for me, God? Like, why is it so hard to hear your voice and know what you want? If you just told me what to do, I'll go do it. Because God's desire is not for me to be some robot that just gets commands and does whatever he says. He's wooing me. You want to know what to do, Ryan? Then come up on the mountain. Come spend some time with me. Come be alone with me. Pursue me. Be intimate with me. I'll share you my secrets. But they're valuable. I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not just going to tell everybody what to do, right? Scripture's here. It's plain. It's for everyone to see. It says like wisdom calls out in the streets, like come listen to what wisdom has to say. And at the same time, Proverbs says that it's the glory of God to conceal something. And it's the glory of kings to search it out that God loves the relationship. He loves when you're actually pursuing him, when you're hungering and thirsting for something, when it's not just easily right there in front of you, when he says, all right, you want to know? On purpose. It sounds cruel. Like, sometimes, like, it sounds cruel. Like, God, why are you hiding this from me? Because his greater desire is not for you just to do everything he says. His greater desire is for you to be intimate with him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be known. And so it's important. It's so important that it's not just left for us to find this verse in Exodus 25 in the Old Testament. We actually find it quoted in Hebrews chapter 8. It says, it's quoting the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it says this Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, See that you make everything according to the design that was shown to you on the mountain. Do you see that divine design? I'm not just picking these weird words out of nowhere, it's throughout Scripture. Moses was divinely instructed, put it back up there, Put it. leave it up there. Moses was divinely instructed when he's about to make the tabernacle. Are you divinely instructed when you're about to make a decision? When you make your plans, are you getting divine instructions? Are you making decisions on your own? Are you seeking God? I, I get it, there, there are things where God just makes it plain, where there's just practical, real-world wisdom, I get that. But I want to include God in everything. God, I want your divine design. I want to know. I want to hunger and thirst, right? When I'm about to do something, I want to know what you're saying. For God has said, see that you make everything according to design shown you on the mountain. I just wonder. I'm just posing this question. It wasn't written down in my notes. So it wasn't in my thoughts before. But I wonder how many of our plans for our lives are actually truly blessed because they were divinely inspired. How many decisions are you making in your life? This is just a question right now. How many decisions are you making in your life on your own? And how many are you going up on the mountain asking God for divine design? God, how do you want to do this? I think it's an important question to ask, right? I know blanketly we all say, yes, we want God's wisdom. But how badly do you want it? Hmm. Now this thought came to my mind. A lot of years in the past, to start off the new year, I've kind of called the church to a fast. Let's do it. We did different fast. Daniel fast. Fast from sunup to sundown. I've, I've changed the kind of how to do it. I didn't call our church to a fast this year. But I wonder how hungry you are to know God's divine design. This was not like intentionally, like I was secretly doing this. I'm gonna see how many of you are really fasting without me telling you to do it. That there's no like manipulation in this. Just thought came to my mind right now. I wonder how often God has a divine design and He's just waiting to see how hungry you are for it. He could tell us, I want you to fast, I want you to do this, and then I'll tell you what to do. But sometimes He doesn't make it clear. He's like, I, I'm just curious how hungry you are. How badly do you want to know what my design is? Because it probably will cost you something. The divine design doesn't come free, it's normally simple. But it's not normally easy. I know there, how about this? I know there's a hunger inside of me, and I'm gonna say it's probably inside of you. There is a hunger to know God's divine design. But I'm just being real and honest with you. I don't think it's a deep enough hunger. I think God is saying this morning, I want to expose where your level of hunger is. And do you want to address it? Do you want to change that? Do you want to leave here different than the way you came in? Again, it's like surface level. We all say we want God's divine design. But how bad? How bad do you want it? I love that when Moses was up on the mountain, he was getting divine design um, for the tabernacle. What else did Moses get up on Mount Sinai? Give you a hint. They were really heavy. And there was two of them. Tablets, all right, yeah. So you got the Ten Commandments. He got the law. He got the written word. I mean, talk about written word. God himself, with his own hand, his own finger, wrote on stone. It was the word of God, the written word of God. So up on the mountain, did Moses get the written word or the rhema word? Yes. Did Moses spend time getting plain instructions or did he just spend time face-to-face loving on Jesus? Yes. yes. In studying this, I've read through Exodus. I've read several chapters over and over and over again these last several weeks. And one verse that just really stuck out to me. Let me find it. It's in here. It'll be up on a slide too. I just got to find it here. Mm. That's a good one, too. Oh, goodness, where is it? Well, How about I just go to the real thing and find it in my Bible? Find it there. I know it's faster that way. All right. Oh, you know what? I'll get... Now that I spent the time doing that, context again. All right. So in Exodus chapter 25... Moses is on Mount Sinai, getting the divine design. He, for the next, how many chapters? till so all the way to 30 something, 31? 31, 31, six chapters. He's getting all these ornate designs, the tabernacle, getting the law, getting all kinds of things. Ver, chapter 32, Moses, has so I've been up there for 40 days. Now the people are wondering, is he still alive? Like he didn't take any food or water with him it's not practical, it's not reasonable that he's still alive because every person would die without drinking water for 40 days. And on top of that, they're seeing thunders and lightning and clouds, like the whole mountain is rumbling. They're like, that guy's no way he's still alive after 40 days up there. And so they said, well, we need a new leader and we need a new God, right? You remember this story? They get all their gold earrings and gold bracelets and they put them in the fire and they melt and they make a golden calf and they begin to worship a golden calf. And so Moses comes down the mountain, he sees what's going on. What does he do with the two tablets of stone? Throws them on the ground, they break, and he yells at them, right? Corrects them all. He melts the golden calf, makes it liquid, and says, you guys got to drink it, right? Horrible things are going on. Moses is now in this place as the leader, taking millions of people out of slavery, out of Egypt. They're trying to get on their way to the promised land. And they're trying to get all the religious things all set in order. God's just given them all this divine design, all this beautiful thing. They're on their way to the promised land and they horribly ruin it all. And Moses is left like, what the heck do we do? I'll say it this way, being a pastor, what do I do? How do I fix this mess? Do I just get rid of everybody? I mean, God actually says that. Let's just get rid of everybody and I'm gonna start over with you, Moses. And Moses is like, no, let's not do that. (laughs) Let's not do that. Moses is in a place where he needs wisdom. He just got all this fresh revelation. 30, chapter 32 happens, and he's like, what the heck? What do we do now? And so in chapter 33, I love this, in, in verse 12, says this, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know who you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you've also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may, consider, and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. But I want to hone in on one little sentence in there. Moses says, I pray, show me now your way that I may know you. I didn't know if I was going to actually spend time this morning on, this past, on that verse or not because I'm just being honest with you. This is what I've been chewing on in my own devotions. Like, when I say chewing, I don't mean like one day I read it and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, and the next day I probably forgot. I mean, I've been chewing on this for days and days and days and days. I read it again. I think about it. God, what are you saying today? How, what does this mean in a way that I already kind of understood one way, but give me fresh revelation again today? I'm chewing on it again and again. Show me your way that I may know you. I'm just being real honest with you. This isn't a a nice prepared message. This is just Ryan showing you my own personal devotion time. I'm learning to confess before God. A lot of times when I'm asking for God's wisdom, God, show me what to do so that I can be successful. Show me what to do so I can look like a good pastor. Show me what to do so I, I have the right answer when someone asks me something. Show me what to do so I... So I can have a prosperous life. Show me what to do so I'll be a good husband. I mean, some of it isn't like all bad. Show me what to do so I can lead my family well. Show me what to do so I can be a good pastor. I, like some of it's not all bad intentions. But I feel like Moses in that one little verse, that one little phrase is wrecking my world. Show me your way, not so I know what to do. Show me your way, not so I know what to do with millions of people that are looking to me for all the answers. Show me your way, not so I know what to do in this big mess that's in front of me. Show me your way so I know how to get to the promised land because I don't even know where it's at. Show me your way, fill in the blank. Moses says, show me your way so I can just know you, God. I just need you. I don't need answers I don't need solutions. I don't need resources. I don't need protection. I don't need provision. I don't need everything that you provide. I just need you, God. Teach me your way. Teach me what you said. Teach. I want to study. I want to know your word, not just so I'm more educated, not so I'm just more wise. I want to know your way so that I can just know you. I'm so hungry to know you, I want to know you in any way possible. And this way is probably the best way to get to know you. So I'm going to read this so I get to know you. In fact, I'm not going to read all the verses if you keep reading. Moses says, show me your way so I can know you. And God answers, all right, my presence will go with you. Moses says, all right, if your presence doesn't go, I'm not going anywhere, God. God. And God says, all right, my presence go with you, and you'll have my favor, you'll have my blessing and protection. And Moses says, all right, but that's not what I came here for. I said, show me your way so I can know you. And you're promising to go with me, which is great, God. I love your promises. See, Moses was acquainted with God's promises. He knew God's promises. Moses was acquainted with God's power. He had seen God's power, right, parting the Red Sea going before Pharaoh, turning water, the Nile, into blood, all the plagues, right? He had seen God's power in a greater way than all of us had seen God's power. Moses knew God's promises, had seen his power, and actually had been guaranteed his presence. My presence will go with you. And still it wasn't enough for Moses. I know you're promising to go with us, God. But I need a personal interaction with a person of who you are, God. Show me your glory. Show me your personal glory. And I've, I've read that, I've studied it, I've heard sermons on it, and I don't wanna get tripped up. There's a lot of truth in that, but what I wanna get to this morning is not just all the glory of God, I'm just saying the personhood of God. Show me who you really are, God. This is how I'm interpreting it for today. Can I say it this way? I have felt the effects of God's presence. I'm a lover of his presence. I want his presence more real in my life. I want his presence in our worship. I'm going to keep going after the presence of God. But I just want to clarify, I've experienced, I don't know how else to say it, the residue, the effects of his presence without experiencing the person of Jesus himself. I'm just being real honest with you. I'm trying to think of a way to relate this. More comical ways are coming to my, my brain. Sorry, that's my brain thinks that way. My mom likes to wear perfume. When she comes to our house and she sits on the couch after she leaves, her presence is still known in our house. <laughs> in a much more vivid way, when my sons put their lacrosse gear in my trunk and leave it there overnight, and I open the door in the morning, the presence of the cross I don't see it, I didn't know it was still in my trunk, but when I open that door, the presence of the cross, stinky, smelly gear, is made known to me when I open up that car door, right? I didn't have to see or touch that physical thing, I just got the effect of the presence being in my car. Can I tell you the same thing? I've been in a place where Jesus, his presence is made real to me, and I enjoy the effects of his presence. But I'm saying there's a hunger inside of me that I don't just want the effects of his presence. I want the real, authentic Jesus. I want him to hold my face and look at me face to face. As we sing that song, with eyes like fire, that he would look deep into my soul. That if there's anything that's not pleasing to him, it would be so made aware in me that this needs to get dealt with. And at the same time, if there's anything in me that is actually pleasing to him, those eyes like fire would say, Ryan, I love you. I affirm you. I am proud of you. You're my son. I want the real authentic voice of Jesus. I don't want Jesus' voice coming through another pastor, through another friend. I want it for myself. Moses is crying, I have your written word. I have your promises, I've seen your power. Just let me see you face to face, God. I want the real you. And in Exodus 33:11 it says, "And Moses would speak to God face to face, like a man speaks to his friend." This is the divine design. I could go through, and I think we eventually will go through all kinds of things, the tabernacle, all those instruments, all those things represent, and they're incredibly profound. That the doorway, man, all the different colors it had to be, and the the size it had to be, all the ornate details of the doorway just to even get into the outer courts of the tabernacle. And Jesus says, I am the door. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one can get to the Father except through me. I mean, we can go through all of them, all these details. I mean, they're just pointing to Jesus, and we're going to get to that eventually. But I want to make sure the purpose is not to go through all these cool things and information in the Bible that makes sense to us today. It's like, I just want Jesus. At the end of the day, I just want to see him face to face. I don't want to know all of his wisdom just so that I'm more wise. I just want Jesus. And if he gives me his wisdom, great. I would love to have some of his wisdom. Now, can I just be real with you? This is another verse that, I don't know, this morning I feel like I'm not really giving a sermon necessarily, but I'm just giving you some thoughts and even some peaks in my own devotional life. But Holy Spirit reminded me, even as I was spending time in his word, which I should be doing. As a good Christian, we spent time in his word. As a pastor preparing, I should spend time in his word. And nowhere in my preparation, but the Holy Spirit just said, Just brought a verse, right? Holy Spirit, that's what he does. He guides us into all truth. He reminds us of things that Jesus has said. And Holy Spirit, when it was not where I was going, Holy Spirit reminded me of red letters. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think you'll find what you're looking for. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to receive from me. I will never stop exalting the importance of God's written word. I'll never stop doing that. But I don't ever want to exalt the written word over Jesus himself. I've had, can I just be real? I've had people come to me and slam me. People try to encourage me. Pastor, it's all about the word. It's all about the word. On Sunday morning, it's all about the word. And I just keep saying, yes, if you mean Jesus, I 100% agree with you. It's all about the Word. It's all about Jesus. Yes, I want to be able to rightly divide the Word of truth. Yes, it's my job to present God's Word to you on Sunday morning. But more than just the written Word, I want to present Jesus to you. I get it. God's written Word is the best way to do it. But I don't want to search the Scriptures and be like the Pharisees and miss the Jesus that's standing right there in front of me. There is a challenge. I I put before us a 21-day devotional, and there's some great scriptures we've been reading this last two weeks. I, I encourage you. I mean, if you're starting a New Year's resolution, spend time in God's Word. Like Moses going up on the mountain, he spent time in God's Word. But don't just spend time in God's Word. Spend time with Jesus, the living Word. Is it possible to have the worship team come up without you being distracted? Without you, like, losing train of thought? I know it's hard for me, too. But the worship team can come on up. And... Like I said this morning, I don't even know if I can call this morning a sermon. I'm just sharing with you some things that are going on inside of Ryan. What's going on inside of you? Be real and honest. What's going inside of you? Are there religious things, right? I'm not saying, like, when we say religious things, Judaism was being formed in these chapters I'm reading the religion of Judaism was being formed. There was things in it that that was God's design to create a religion. Jesus is building the church. There is part of religion, right? True religion is what, taking care of the widows and the orphans, right? There's things that God's word says, there's things about religion that are good. But the tradition of man, just doing things because we're supposed to do them, Jesus was blowing away traditions. When Jesus came, he says, man, this temple that you guys all love, this temple, he's right." Like, In three days, it's going to be destroyed. In three days, I can build it right back up. What? It's taken hundreds of years to build this beautiful thing. She's like, it's not about tradition. I mean, he flipped over the tables in the temple. There's things I feel like God wants to flip over tables in our temple. Ways of thinking, patterns. It's because he's mad and angry. No, it's because he loves us so much. Those eyes like fire. He wants to love on you. He wants you to know him in truth. And his discipline is pointed at anything that is blocking his love. If there's a lie of the enemy, if there's a sin that I've committed, if there's anything that's blocking just oneness, that verse, Ephesians 4:16, closely joined together with him, constantly connected as one, then his eyes like fire saying, let's just deal with that thing. If there is a hunger to know me, but it's not burning, it's not red hot, let's deal with it. Let's make it red hot. He wants to help us, right? He doesn't want to just show us things and say, yeah, you should get that. You should take care of that. You should do that. You should get your act together. He's like, "No, I'm showing you because I want to help you. I'm your shepherd. I've given you my Holy Spirit to help you, to empower you. So maybe this morning it was all about Pastor Ryan, maybe there's one other or a couple other of you that are somewhat tracking with me this morning. And you're saying, there is a hunger but I just need it to be bigger. I need it to go deeper. I just need Jesus. Not his promises, not the power, not the effects of his presence. I just need the real raw Jesus. And if that's you, then I just, I invite you to join me up front. And it can look like however the Holy Spirit wants. Maybe there's no leaders that pray over you at all but it's just a responding saying, Jesus, I just need you. I just want more of you. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living and it's active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to separate soul and spirit where there's a wrestling inside of me May your living word, Jesus, may you be the word that comes and pierces me and makes my spirit come alive. The rest of that verse says joint and marrow. It separates joint and marrow. God, where I'm not healthily connected to you, where I'm not closely joined together with you, where I'm not constantly connected as one with you, living word, would you show me that and mend that and heal it and be the balm of Gilead that comes to that broken joint and brings the sinews together, brings the breath of life and causes me to come alive. God, may I leave this place fully alive, not hanging on to the very last breath, not just barely alive, but fully alive in you, Jesus. So I confess I need you, Jesus, afresh and anew. Whether it's my first time to say I need you as my Lord and Savior, or this the 10,000th time to cry again, I need you, Jesus. I just say it again, I need you, Jesus. I need you. You're my all. You're my best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I need you. I need you, Lord. And I love you. And I love you, Jesus. fresh and anew, I confess with my mouth, I love you. So I just encourage you, come respond if you need to respond, and we'll sing a worship song.